electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, tech stocks are on fire. And there's one name the chart master says is about to break out as soon as next week. And when you see the chart, you might be pressing the buy button too. Plus, the new age of wind. Steve Wynn is long gone and now he and his ex-wife can sell their massive stakes in the casino company. So at the worst over, can the stock thrive? We've got a special report. But first, we start off with the rise of the banks. So far in 2018, they are one of the best performing sectors. The group moving higher today on the 10-year anniversary of the collapse of Bear Stearns. And look at how far the banks have come. The financial ETF basically right back at pre-crisis levels. And this all comes as Congress works to ease all the rules that were created in the wake of the financial crisis. So with higher rates, more volatility, fewer rules, is there still money in the banks? Yes. And Tim has said this for quite some time, and I I think we've all sort of said this for different reasons, but my main reason is, listen, in 07, 08, these banks traded almost three times, three and a half times price to book. That was, I think we all agree, real ridiculous. But at the trough of the financial crisis, most of these banks traded below book, which I think is equally ridiculous. I think in this environment, Rollback in regulation with the, the interest rates where they are. These banks should be trading closer, about 1.8, 1.9 times. A city, for example, means there's significant upside for city, which we probably all agree with. And even at Goldman Sachs, who a lot of people want to shoot against, still has room to the upside as well, based on that math. So I, I think a guy hit hit on uh, 99.9% of the topics. I think you got to throw in there wow. corporate tax rate. Oh, all right. Very, See you later. So point 0.1%. <laughs> no, those very, are the tailwinds. Very okay. So the 0.1% that we didn't talk about, that's probably 30% of the overall importance of this is corporate tax rate cut. So now you see the tailwind. If you look at that XLF chart that we just flashed up there, that accounts for all of the regulation being taken off. That's not going to happen. There's still going to be some regulation slapped onto it. And there's not going to be 30 to 1 leverage anymore. So I think that's a big point of this. That you're not going to have the upside that you once had back then or the upside potential. Mm-hmm. So money can still go there, but you're not going to see that big bang for your buck anymore. Well, uh, I, I mean, I, I think of it as I would agree that bank prop desks are no longer uh, you know, a P&L vehicle for these guys. I think that, they, and their sales and trading business is less profitable. But uh, I think if you think about the core part of what a lot of investors would be looking for with banks, which is that the capital side of their business, they're going to be giving capital back. Um, they have less regulatory pressure. Look at the two-year note. It's at nine and a half year highs. Look at LIBOR. It cranks higher every day. We don't talk about LIBOR, but most loans are pegged to LIBOR. People want to talk about the flattened yield curve. 52 basis points, two is tenths a day. Not so good. But guess what? Banks are becoming more profitable every single day. Uh, I don't think that they have to go back to those valuations, but I do think that they're a, a, a different buy for a lot of the market that wants a valuation that they could believe in. We've yeah. seen 20% returns last year and the year before in the S&P banks. Will we see a yeah. similar year, do you think? I, I, I think or we, was that all anticipation I, of a lot of the points well, I think that these guys have I think a lot of, it a lot of the, the, the positive changes that were happening, but I still think the incremental dollar is going to go into a financial right now, go into an industrial, over going into tech. If you're mm. a generalist investor, 
investor and you're getting that money and that's where I think it goes. But I think we're at a very important inflection point politically when you think about banks and the long-term structure from a political perspective because there's a third of the Senate Democrats right now that do support changes to Dodd-Frank that is supportive of banks and sort of their activity. So I look at that and say that's probably the biggest tailwind, in my opinion, for banks. And obviously the capital returns policies that Citi and J.P. Morgan, all these banks have put into place. How about the regional, very, regional very banking? Yeah, I think they benefit maybe more than that. Exactly. Yeah, regional benefit. banking, yeah. the KRE, the regional banking index is up 8%. And it's pr pretty much double, out, outdone right. the XLF. So if you're looking for these big banks to continue that, that ascent higher, I think you're better off going with the KRE versus the XLF, all things uh, being equal. So again, going back to prices, so Citibank last, I think they reported in January, their fourth quarter, the uh, book value of the stock was $71. The stock closed at 73 effectively trading book value right now. So even if you think 1.8 is ridiculous, one and a half is not ridiculous, and that's another $35. I can do that math, and that gets you a $105 <laughs> stock. So I do think there's room left. I know people think these stocks have run a lot. They have. But it doesn't mean they can't run more in this well, environment. Citibank, sorry, Citibank has, has not really run. If you think about the, the move that the market's had since September, Citibank is basically flat. Yeah. Uh, and as much as I think the financials have been very defensive during this last six weeks of a market volatility correction, whatever we're calling this, um, Citibank has probably been a laggard. I think it has the most operational leverage to this economy. It is certainly the cheapest. Right. It is certainly the most under pressure historically from a regulatory standpoint. Those are things that I don't think they've gotten enough benefit of the doubt. But you talk about trading businesses and you talk about the profitability of the trading desks right now. I look at it and say volatility is coming back. It is definitely coming back, and that's plagued the industry for a very long time. So I look at our desk and say, if we're an indication of what the rest of the world's going to look like, I look at the issuance business. It's off the charts. I look at the way we're sort of volumes we're seeing at, at the institutional level. It's really come back significantly. So if volatility picks up and we see a lot more M&A in issuance, I think this could be a, a, another tailwind, if you will, for a lot of these. So extrapolating that, is Goldman Sachs better positioned than, say, Morgan Stanley? I, I don't think so. I mean, no. I, I, I'll tell you this. Um, I, I hear what David's saying. I, volatility is very good for banks, I think, if you think about this period over the last uh, couple months. But let's be clear. Sales and trading, banks are still, they're firing people. Um, I, I don't think sales and trading is a good business. I don't think the margins are there. I don't think there's a kind of edge there. I think banks are going to be making it in positioning, in merchant banking. And, and the guys that have great asset management businesses, also where there's fee compression, though, it's been proven that that's been a more reliable business but model. It's a higher margin. It's stickier money. It's more look, predictable. I disagree. I think the trading aspect of this business, the trading side has gotten a lot more efficient, much more technological or te technology oriented, which has helped us cut costs in a tremendous way. I look at the back office functionality, which is basically going to be eliminated when you look at the blockchain and the implement implementation on that. Plus, you look at deregulation and look at all the cost cutting associated with that. So there's a tremendous amount of cost cutting that's happened in this model that is super bullish, in my opinion. Are you talking Cowan point of view? Uh, I'm talking across the board. Okay. You, you across think the board. sales and trading business is better off now than it was 10 years ago? No, I think, I, it's, I, I think it's a joke. I, I don't. I don't think it is better off now than it was 10 years ago, but I think there's been a lot of fat cut out of the model, and I do believe that there's been a lot of efficiencies created through electronic means of execution that have offered a much more, you know, uh, it's you a, know I let's say a way to get no. So you're cutting costs, you're cutting well, the price of execution. Why, getting... why do you guys insist on self would you rather? I'm not calling it. for it. I don't want to play it. 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 Somebody's doing their own would you rather. They're like, fine. Uh, what do you want to do? Snap. Go ahead. Give you, you give yourself your own if, choice if I'm and not choose. The ETF, the regional uh, banking India, uh, index, the KRE. I would be a buyer of J.P. Morgan. It's proven itself time and time again. You know what I would rather do? I what would you rather do? I know I would too. For more on where the key players of the Bear Stearns collapse are right now, we are joined by a familiar face. I'm sure you know her, Kate Kelly, New York Times reporter, author of Street Fighters: The Last 72 Hours of Bear Stearns, the toughest firm on Wall Street. 
Well, uh, welcome, Kate. It's great to see you again. Of course, Kate used to be part of the great CNBC family, still is as a contributor. Let's start off. Um, I, oh, you mean back in 2008? <laughs> Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that like it was yesterday, yeah. honestly. Agreed. Jimmy Kane. Jimmy Kane. Okay, so where are they now? Jimmy Kane is retired, um, and he's been laying very low. I mean, uh, there was a good story in 2015 in Vanity Fair about what he was up to. He's occasionally on the charity circuit, still playing some bridge and golf. Um, but frankly, there hasn't been much about him in the last year or so other than he sued Alexandra Labenthal for about $438,000 in an outstanding loan from 2008 into her business. Um, and essentially, he said he's still worth $400 million. Mm. This was back in 2015 in that Vanity Fair piece, um, partly from his bear stock that he sold after the price was raised by J.P. Morgan. So, you know, he's, he's doing okay. Warren Spector. Warren Spector. Uh, Warren Spector is the chairman of a private credit investment firm with, that I had not been familiar with until I was looking into it today, Balbeck Capital, uh, founded by some Bear Stearns alumni. He also uh, was in the movie business a little bit in recent years. He executive produced a film in 2011 that was directed by his now late wife. Um, and hmm. from what I understand, he splits his time between Martha's Vineyard and Florida. And, and as you may remember, he left Bear uh, before the credit crisis, really, or the, at least the financial crisis, really got going. The credit crisis was brewing. So he also left with much of his wealth intact. And Alan Schwartz, everybody can remember that interview that he did with Faber on the brink of Unforgettable. Yeah. While he was at the Bear Stearns media conference at the Breakers, and David confronted him with this question about how somebody, a counterparty, did not want to face him, or Bear, that is, on a CDS, and he didn't know about it. It was like a deer-in-the-headlights moment. Um, he's still actively making deals. He was known for investment banking and M&A and his relationships within pharma and media, among other sectors. Um, he's the executive chairman of Guggenheim Partners, a small investment boutique. Um, and, you know, their fingerprints, I was just looking at some, some um, league tables, are all over some major deals. Scripps Tribune, uh, the recent Walt Disney uh, 21st Century Fox deal. So he's still very actively engaged. So all of these guys are, were top dogs at, at Bear Stearns at the time of the collapse, effectively. And they all seem to be doing A-OK -okay right now. Is that surprise, looking back, that none of them were charged with anything, either by the SEC or uh, by prosecutors? So two layers to your question. In terms of doing OK, I mean, look, there were 14,000 employees. A lot of them lost their jobs. A lot of them were wiped out. The stock was owned one-third by Bear employees. So that was obviously devastating for many. Uh, on the other hand, Bear Stearns employees were relatively better off than some others, certainly Lehman employees, because at least they got taken over by a universal bank that was, you know, well-resourced. Um, and they had a chance, they had an earlier chance to look for new jobs. Um, in terms of the criminal charges, that's an interesting question. So there was a trial um, uh, of Ralph Chiaffi and Matthew Tanine, who ran those high-grade mm -hmm. structured credit funds right. that collapsed in 2007, a year before Bear itself collapsed. Um, and there was a question as to whether there was criminal securities fraud in, in the marks and the investor communications and so on. They were acquitted. Um, and in terms of that, it's well known that there have been almost no successful criminal prosecutions of financial crisis players. The only one is Kareem Sarageldin, who helped conceal losses in Credit Suisse's mortgage-backed securities uh, assets during the crisis, and he is still serving time. But everybody else more or less got off. Amazing. Kate, thank you. Good to see you. You too. Oh, Kate. can I add one thing? Of course. I was talking to a, uh, a Bear Stearns alum today who was a great source of mine on the book, and he said, in terms of my recollections, the sound of St. Patty's Day bagpipes will forever trigger PTSD. There we are. <coughs> Can't say it better. Patty's Tough Day. Yeah. It really were. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. And, of course, uh, check out Kate's book, Street Fighters.
Wow. Okay. Want to, first of all, I want a signed yeah. copy, number one. Yeah. I think that could be arranged. And those didn't arrive with arrived, her today, I mean, Kate, sorry. but we'll bring that up at another time. No, the, so the, so the, the big argument or the big question today was, can Bear Stearns happen again? I think. Are we safe from another collapse as a rollback of the regulations that we're talking about right now? Is that a prudent thing? There can always be another run on the bank, right. theoretically, right? And that's effectively what happened. And you guys had greater conversations about that today. But to Tim's point, he said this now for at least a couple of years. Banks are so better capitalized yeah. now that the next problem is not going to, in my opinion, manifest itself in the financial sector. I, I, yeah, I, I, I also just think that I, I listen to this administration and I hear them talk about regulation. I hear them talk about deregulation all the time. I also hear them talk about the need for regulation in the banking sector. I, as someone that want to see some modicum, but I'm very happy to see that a lot of the regulation is at least lightened up in this industry. I think there's a very good balance right now. I really do, I with great balance sheets. And I think it's been an important time to look at the sector. All right, coming up, earnings kicking into gear next week. There is one name the Chartmaster says is about to break out. Plus, despite the recent volatility, a number of stocks in the S&P 500 have gone parabolic, and our traders think a couple of them can go even higher. We'll give you the names, and later, as Bitcoin collapses. The once loved Bitcoin stocks are getting slammed, but there's one name the traders are buying. We will explain. You're watching Fast Money from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. As the S&P climbs back from the February low, some stocks are going parabolic, soaring to record highs despite all the volatility. For more, we go to a man who is high on life, Dominic Chu. Hey, Dom. Well, of course, I'm high on life, Melissa. I get to work with the Fast Money team and all of us here at CNBC on a daily basis. So, yes, I'm high on life. While the overall market, though, seems to be in a bit of a consolidation phase, a lot of this price action is now huddled around that more medium-term 50-day moving average in the S&P 500. There are a handful of larger cap stocks that have actually found a way to get back to their recent highs and extend themselves above their longer-term trend prices. So here's what we did. We took a look at the S&P 500. Turns out there's around 40 stocks trading within 2% of their at least 52-week highs or better. Among those, half of them at least 20% above their 200-day average price. So among the standouts in that list of around 20 companies, you got Payments Network, MasterCard, 25% above its 200-day moving average. Enterprise software company, Salesforce.com, above 26% above that trend line. Of course, our upside momentum screen wouldn't be complete without some of those red-hot chip stocks. NVIDIA fits the bill. Big momentum play. It's now above 30% above that 200-day moving average. And we'll throw in another software name, Adobe Systems, now 34% above its trend line, thanks in part to a big, robust earnings report. Now, traders have a lot of different ways to characterize momentum, Melissa. This is simply our way of looking at it. Back over to you guys. All right. Thank you, Dom. Dom Chu. So it's Friday. We like to play games. We do. So we're going to play a little game right now. The game is this. Are these stocks high and going higher, or are they too high? So higher you listen, or too that high. Do you are understand? They, are they high they're too, or are they going high? Yes. Too high or two going choices. high? Two choices. Let's start yes. with MasterCard. Let's give this a whirl. MasterCard. You want to on this side? I'll get it right. I'll, I'll start right. off yeah, with these since right, you're Mal. so confident. MasterCard, is it going higher or is it too high? Going higher, Mel. Why? I think ultimately, if you look at the payment system, these guys are well positioned. They're also very attached to consumer growth. I think consumer credit is alive and well. MasterCard going higher. I, I agree. This is a company you can put your kids' money and their kids' money in, your wow. grandkids' money in. Just a steady eddy, going to continue to move. 
up and to the right, it's a, it's a, it's a really good long-term solid play. What do you say to Going Mascar? higher. If you look at the long-term trend line to David's point, uh -huh. it's undeniable it's still moving higher. Do you understand how to play this game now? Wow, are, you ready? Are, you ready to, are you ready? Are you ready to chime in? Is it going to tap out here or is it going to continue <laughs> to move up? Right? Is that Give it a try. Go ahead. Which one? Higher Buy, sell, or oh, too high. Yes, MasterCard. Well, we've been bullish in MasterCard for since this show is the inception of this show. Oh, matter so of fact about it. It's, it's going higher. <laughs> higher. Higher. Higher, Monty. Very good. I had my dads, but you did it, Guy. You it's already a half-hour show. Keep it <laughs> Salesforce, Tim. Uh, too high. Is that what it was too high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's nice, not well go played higher. there. Too high. I, I think the valuation has always been in question, and therefore that's you could have said that a year ago and been very, very wrong. I think you're getting to a place where people understand there's a lot of competition in the software space. I would rather own Oracle here. Hmm. Uh, on fundamentals alone, provided there's not some black swan that hits the entire tech sector, I would say it's going to continue to go higher. Great execution, international growth. I mean, the company just put up a great quarter, and, and I, AI investment. I mean, this is a company that's moving in the right direction. Nice divergence of opinion there. <laughs> NVIDIA you. is our next stock. Mm. Grasso, higher oh. Oh. or too high? Higher. NVIDIA. Higher, without question. Internet of Things, connected houses, connected cars, connected lives. People are using their laptops, their cell phones. Everywhere they go, it's going higher. Connected lives. Mining. Wow, Con connected lives. We are, we're, we're like connected, the five connected. of us tonight. Yeah. No? Sorry. <laughs> Adobe, what no, do you no, say? No. Oh, uh, NVIDIA? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, I'm trying to play the game. Fine, do Adobe. You guys, do whatever you want to do. I'm through with you. I'm through with you, Adobe. Who sits next to me from time to time? He's going to be on the next show. His name is Dan Nathan. And about, I don't know, six months or so ago, I said, if you like Amazon, you got to love Adobe. And he looked at me and he snarled. And he said, I'm not sure about that. Well, look at it now, all time high. And you look at the last quarter. 42% operating margins, 200 basis points, better than the street was expected. What does it that mean? It means it's going higher. higher. Woo! Sorry, higher. 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 He's having trouble here. This is, it's Friday. Thank you. Higher. Goodness. All right, still ahead. Hmm. Steve Wynn, now cleared to sell his stake in the casino giant he founded. Where does a company and where does a stock go from here? We've got a special two. Oh, different oh. game. Be quiet. We're going to break. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. I am not a role model. And neither, apparently, are a number of top Nike executives, as the Dow component gets rocked by a series of high-profile departures. We'll tell you what it means for the stock. Plus, Bitcoin is getting pummeled. But there's one Bitcoin stock that surged to a 52-week high. We'll give you the name and how to profit when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Wynn Resorts lower today, but they have been climbing off the lows made before. The ouster of namesake and CEO, former CEO, I should say, Steve Wynn, following several sexual assault allegations. And now Wynn and his ex-wife, Elaine, are free to sell their shares of the company. For this developing story, what it could mean for the stock that's ran by Seth Brewer. Yeah, well, you know, Melissa, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And for Steve <laughs> and Elaine Wynn, they just, they fold them. Over a business agreement that kept them bound to each other long after the divorce was granted, the shareholder deal kept them and Wynn Resorts co-founder Kazuo Okada from selling their shares without the permission of the others. Last week, Okada's former company, Universal, settled with Wynn Resorts and withdrew from the shareholder agreement. And then yesterday, with the agreement of Steve Wynn and Elaine Wynn, a judge ordered the deal dissolved. Between the couple, they own a roughly 21% stake in the company. A massive sell-off could make the company now a target for takeover. I sat down, as you might remember, with the company's new CEO, Matt Maddox, one week ago for an exclusive interview. 
Have other companies made offers to buy wind resorts, either in whole or in part? We've had no offers to buy wind resorts. Would you entertain offers to buy wind resorts? As a CEO, I have a fiduciary duty to entertain anything. But what I can tell you is we're not for sale. And there's been talks about breaking the company up. That also makes no sense. So to pursue strategic alternatives at a time when the narrative is not about the business is a mistake. So Steve Wynn's separation agreement last month with Wynn Resorts prohibited him from publicly selling more than a third of his shares in any quarter. But under certain circumstances, he can sell them privately. Analysts point out Wynn Resorts has the resources to purchase both Steve and Elaine's combined shares to keep them from having any impact on the stock. And the big question is, you know, Matt Maddox was described to me today by one analyst as being a whiz at capital markets. Is that the place where he's going to put Wynn Resorts capital? Now, this reminds me, talking about Steve Wynn buying and selling his own shares, of the prescient purchase that he made of his own the shares. The Wynn bottom. The Wynn bottom, the right bottom. back at the uh, end of 2015, right. I think it was. stock was in the 50s. You know? Right. It was in the high 50s then. It was. So what do we think about him maybe selling shares now? So if, if, if you loved getting in with him when he was buying shares, by right. definition, you should start selling when he's selling. And my pushback would be, he did that by choice then. I don't necessarily know if he has a choice now. I think the shares are going higher. And by the way, mm. you know, this is Contessa's first time with us here. Welcome in person. To the and she set. did it on her birthday. I was going to say, which I know. Was man, we so have a happy birthday, 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 Contessa. Happy birthday, Contessa. Clearly, Contessa. I announced it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly and win. So all these charts look look somewhat similar, ironically. But I think the, uh, for win, the worst is over. I'd be a buyer with him selling it. All right. Contessa, thank you. Sure. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Thank you. Final trade time. Tim. Uh, Diageo. I think if you look at Guinness, this is a company that's going to be positioned. Diageo owns them. Love it. Diageo, global brands. Seaberg. Uh, Doc Horton is the name that I love. Just on a recovery in the home space. I think Doc Horton, the lower end home, wins. Thanks, 32. <sighs> Alibaba, I've been long for a while. It's going higher. $200 last print going higher from here. Oh. We got the greatest pages in the history of NBC. Certainly One of them's do. leaving Karen Walsh. She's on her way. She's going to Morocco by herself for a couple weeks. Then she's That's coming insane. back and she's going to kill it somewhere. Win Resorts will get you done, Mel. Thank you for all you've done, Karen. Yeah, Karen. That does the frosty back here Monday at 5. Don't move. Options Actions up straight after this break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.